Now, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 55, today we're going to talk about resentment, having an unforgiving spirit, bitterness, a grudge. And as you turn to Psalm 55, I want to tell you a little bit of a story that I heard a few years ago that came out in the German press and then was repeated in the American press. It was very interesting. A husband and wife were going through a divorce, and the judge said they had to divide everything in half. So the husband went home, and he literally began to divide everything in half. And he began to cut the things they owned together right down the middle. And some of this looks like it was photoshopped, but the German media agency said, no, we took these photos. These are real items that he cut in half, and he gave her half of everything, and he kept half of everything. And got right down to even the car. My personal favorite, though, this almost looks like a piece of art, is when he cut the couch in half. I don't know why this one grabbed me, but just this couch sort of hanging there with the light. It seems very artistic. But this wasn't art. This was something that came out of the bitterness that they went through in that divorce. This comes out of resentment for what they'd gone through. And um, it represents what often creeps up in our hearts in some of the most intimate of relationships, when a marriage goes through separation or divorce, when there's an estrangement between parents and children or children and their parents, when there is a division between coworkers or business partners who can't get along and, and the relationship breaks or friendships or relationships within the body of Christ, even in a small group or a ministry team where something gets in and someone gets hurt and someone feels the wound and then that wound, that seed of pain becomes a root of bitterness and resentment and it's dangerous and today we're going to explore kind of David's heart as he expresses it in Psalm 55 during a time when it would be easy for him to develop a grudge and bitterness and how he fights to keep that bitterness out of his heart. We're going to talk about keeping bitterness out as we look at Psalm 55 uh, today. We'll also just talk a little bit about the story that is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 through verse 18. And I want us to understand this as we explore this topic of bitterness and resentment. Unless you keep bitterness from taking root in your heart, the poison of resentment will ruin a lot of people, especially you. Bitterness, resentment, a grudge, an unforgiving spirit, when it harbors in our hearts, the root goes deeper and the toxins get more poisonous. Hebrews 12.15 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out. Be careful that a root of bitterness doesn't get in your heart. You have to be aware, even when the seeds of pain just begin to fall into the depth of your being, where someone has hurt you, they've wronged you, they've betrayed you, they did something that caused you pain and heartache, you have to guard right away, guard your heart. Think about that one person that if they walked in here and sat down next to you, it would just irritate you that they were near you. Maybe it's two people, maybe it's three. Maybe for some of you, they've already stepped into eternity. I'm not talking about being surprised that a dead person would show up, but I'm talking about the feeling you'd have toward that individual. Those of you who are joining us online, think about where you are. Someone knocks on your door and it's that person. What, what would those feelings be? You know those emotions immediately come up. Maybe it's somebody you know, somebody you don't know, but it's resentment that you have toward them because of who they are and how they've hurt you. Again, we want to talk about keeping bitterness out of our hearts and keeping resentment from ruining us and ruining others. There's an incredible story in the Old Testament, of course, of the life of David. King David was the greatest king in Israel's history. 
He becomes king at age 30. He conquers what we now know as Jerusalem, and it becomes the capital city, the city of worship, and the city where they would honor Jehovah God. He has great success as king of Israel. And about 15 years into his success, one morning or one evening, he is up on the rooftop of the palace that was situated above all the other homes. And a rooftop actually in that day was a place of privacy. You could bathe and do other things there. The only one who could see you would be from the palace. And, and uh, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing and he lusts after her and he calls for her and brings her into his home and he sleeps with her. And some, just based on the context, believe that that happened on the roof of the palace. And then she lets him know that she's pregnant and he panics and tries to make it look like her husband got her pregnant and that doesn't work out so he has to have her husband killed and then he takes her as his wife so it would look like this baby was all legitimate and everything was good and there was nothing bad going on so he, he commits adultery, he forces a woman to have uh, sex with her, he then kills her husband which ends up in other people being killed. This becomes so tragic. The baby dies. He goes into a dark place. King David does. It's a, it's a very difficult, dark season in his reign as king. It happens at about age 45, 15 years into his reign. A prophet shows up, tells a story, and David is incensed in the story about who's been wronged. He says, you're the person who has wronged. And he's told that his family's going to be a mess, and there's going to be judgment come down on his home, and if you pick up the story in chapter 13 of 2 Samuel through, through chapter 18, really, you see that chaos. In chapter 15, one of his older sons, Absalom, the son of King David, one of his sons, uh, creates a revolt, tries to have a coup attempt against his father, and is able to drive David out of Jerusalem. David has to go into exile, and he's fleeing because Absalom and his forces try to take over the kingdom, and it's chaos, and people are being hurt, and part of Absalom's thing is that he resents his father because he doesn't think his father, who was the king, handled appropriately when one of Absalom's brothers wronged violently one of their sisters. And so there's resentment even on Absalom's part in staging this coup. And as David's trying to sort things out, and who's with Absalom, and who's with David, there, there's chaos. And he learns that a man very close to him, a man named Ahithophel, now just try to say that name, it's not a name we say very often, just say it to yourself, Ahithophel. Strange name, but an important character in the life of David. He's considered one of the wise advisors. He's a right-hand man to David, to David. He's been with David through thick and thin. They are very close, and we'll see that as we look at Psalm 55. This is the description the Scriptures give about Ahithophel and the kind of advice he gave. And Ahithophel switches sides and stays in Jerusalem, and he cozies up to Absalom, and Absalom is thrilled. We read in 2 Samuel 16, verse 23, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice, just as David had done, for every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. Think of the wisdom here. And David panics because his close advisor is now advising his son, who is trying to carry out this coup attempt to become king of Israel. As a matter of fact, Ahithophel says in his advice to Absalom two main things. One, he says, what you need to do is you need to get your father's wives and take them to the roof of the palace and sleep with them all there. It'll embarrass your father. And in a tribal way in that day, Ahithophel says, says this will give you part of the right to the kingdom. And so Absalom does that. 
And that had been part of the judgment the prophet had pronounced that to David and said, someone close to you will defile your wives. And that happened in what Absalom did in following Ahithophel's advice. Then Ahithophel says to Absalom, and you want to really become king? you got to go after your dad right now while he's on the run. Because if you get him right now, you're going to be the king. If you wait till he gets his forces and they strike back, it's not going to work. And again, he's got this wise advice as if it comes from God. So Absalom's struggling. What do I do? What do I do? David finds out Ahithophel is with Absalom and what he's told Absalom. And he sends a spy in who was considered another wise guy in the circle of David, and that guy goes in and says, no, no, don't follow Ahithophel. Your, your, your father is scrappy. He was scrappy when he was running from King Saul. No, 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 you need to give time to get your forces together, then you can crush him. And the scriptures say that was bad advice, but is what God wanted to have happen because God wanted to bring Absalom's rebellion to an end. And so the advice of Ahithophel is ignored. And Ahithophel really, really believed that was the way to conquer David. Even the scripture indicates that would have been the way. But Absalom doesn't listen to that advice. And Ahithophel is so upset that he doesn't listen. He goes home and the scriptures say that he puts his house in order and he kills himself. Quite a story, right? Absalom eventually is killed and David is reinstated to the throne. But what a mess. Part of the story I didn't tell you. So I didn't tell you who Ahithophel is in terms of his relationship to other characters in the story. You see, Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. Now, do you understand why, after 15 years, he might have a grudge with David, and when the opportunity comes, he sides to destroy David? As a matter of fact, when Ahithophel is advising Absalom on how Absalom can destroy David, he says this in 2 Samuel 17, 1 through 3. Now, Ahithophel urged Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men to start out after David tonight. I will catch up with him while he is weary and discouraged. He and his troops will panic, and everyone will run away. They'll all run away. Then I will kill only the king, and I will bring back all the people back to you as a bride returns to her husband. After all, it's only one man's life that you seek. Then you'll be at peace with all the people. Ahithophel had been holding on to resentment against what David had done to his granddaughter 15 years earlier. He'd been there smiling, advising David, coaching David. But now is his opportunity, and the poison had been brewing, and the resentment had been there, and he tries to carry out his revenge. We see in Ahithophel the effects of resentment that isn't cared for, and a root of bitterness that got down deep, and it wasn't tended to and removed and uprooted. We see in Psalm 55, a psalm that scholars going all the way back to the time of Christ believe was written during the rebellion of Absalom and immediately after the betrayal by Ahithophel. In Psalm 55, we see David pouring his heart out to God, trying not to allow a root of bitterness to get into his own heart. So he's trying to keep the bitterness out. And I want us to learn some lessons, both from the failure of Ahithophel in dealing with the root of bitterness, and then in David's work in his own heart to keep the bitterness out. Let's start with five lies we believe when we hold a grudge and the truths that correct them. These are things that you see in the life of Ahithophel. Lie number one, time heals all wounds. 
Just give it time. Ignore the bitterness. Time will just take care of itself. Truth number two, excuse me, truth number one, unresolved resentment grows more toxic over time. Time doesn't heal all wounds. If you've got a seed of bitterness, resentment, a grudge in you, Time will just allow that to become more toxic and to become more dangerous to others. Writer Elizabeth Gilbert says, as smoking is to the lungs, so is resentment to the soul. Even one puff is bad for you. So true. Line number two that Ahithophel shows us is, those closest to us will hurt us the least. Truth number two, those closest to us can hurt us the most. Separation and divorce and marriage is a deep, deep wound that can create some resentment. Some of you, that person that if they sat next to you would be your ex. Because the intimacy of that relationship, children, when, when there's a break in a relationship with our children or with our parents, again, that's an intimate relationship. And, and we think those closest to us won't hurt us because they're close to us, but they can often be the ones that hurt us the most. Line number three, innocent people never get hurt. That's kind of how Absalom, or excuse me, Ahithophel tried to tell Absalom to go about. You let me go with 12,000 people. I'll kill David myself. Nobody else will be hurt. Baloney. If you read 2 Samuel 11 through 18 and you read the heart of David in Psalm 55, you find out all kinds of people get hurt when bitterness isn't cared for properly. Line number four, revenge is sweet. Revenge is sweet. Truth number four, no, it's not. No, it's not. In Ahithophel's case, in his attempt at revenge, being frustrated by it, it actually takes his life. He can't handle it anymore, and he takes his own life. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We're to let God be the judge. We're not to take out vengeance on other people. Line number five. Withholding forgiveness punishes the guilty. We all kind of believe this, don't we? If I, if I just don't forgive them and I don't let it go, boy, that'll really hurt them. You know that old saying, holding a grudge is like drinking poison waiting for the other person to die? Truth number five is without, or withholding forgiveness punishes us. That's what happened in Ahithophel's case. It just became more and more disastrous for his own life. I love what Buddy Hackett, the old comedian, said. He said, I never carry a grudge. Do you know why? While you're carrying a grudge, they're out dancing. Maybe you've been believing one of these lies. The Holy Spirit is linking one of these lies or several of these lies to that person that would just irritate you if they walked in and sat down next to you because you've got bitterness or resentment toward that individual. Acknowledge that you've been believing that lie to the Lord in your own heart and mind. That's the example of Ahithophel and some of the lies he fell into. Now David has an opportunity for resentment to get a root in his heart and life toward Absalom and toward Ahithophel. And in Psalm 55, he communicates to God. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms is we get the, the heart of the individual that's poured out before God. The pain they pour out before him in some of these psalms. Matter of fact, 90% of the psalms are written by David. And we see his anger, we see his fears, we see his frustration. He pours it all out to God. F.B. Meyer used to say that when you pour out your pain to God, he pours his peace into you. 
David did that so much that when he had an occasion to actually kill King Saul, he had poured out his anger, his frustration, his, his, his resentment toward Saul so much that when he had a chance to kill Saul, he said, I didn't because he's God's man. I'll let God take care of him. It's because he poured all the poison out before the Lord. And part of what we got to do with the bitterness, the resentment, the hurt, the pain is just take it to God. I want to share with you now through Psalm 55 and what David does to resist bitterness, getting a root in his heart, three keys to keeping the root of bitterness out of your heart. Three keys to keeping the root of bitterness out of your heart from Psalm 55. Key number one, go to God quickly. Go to God quickly. Right when the hurt comes, right when maybe the seed of resentment could get lodged in your spirit, go to God quickly. And let me say, you can't go to God quickly and know that he hears you unless you are his child. And we're all born outside the family of God. We're all born sinners. That sin breaks our relationship with God. But God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to reestablish our relationship with the God who made us. And Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead so that we could have a whole relationship with God. So that when we, we have that hurt, that pain, someone wounds us, we can go quickly to him and know that he hears us because we are his child. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then you are not God's child and you don't have the insurance that he'll hear you when you go to him quickly with your pain. So let me just encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. So you can be his child. He can walk with you in life today. Deal with the things you're going through. Holding on to his hand. I'll be out in the lobby. Our care team will be down front if we can help you here personally on campus after the service. For those of you joining us online, even for those of you in the room, you can simply text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll get some resources to you, what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to walk with him, to live and love like Jesus in this world. And then we'll have someone on our team follow up with you and make sure that you know that you have a relationship with God and you know that when you go to him in your pain, he's gonna hear you because you are his child. The first key to keeping the root of bitterness out of your heart is to go to God quickly. Turn to him at the first hint of resentment. That's what David does in the first eight verses of Psalm 55. He now has this, this reason to resent Ahithophel. He's gonna make a reference to him here. Again, scholars going all the way back to the time of Christ, Jewish scholars back then, attributed Psalm 55 to being written during the rebellion of Absalom immediately after the betrayal by Ahithophel, David's friend. We read in verse one, he says, listen to my prayer, O God, do not ignore my plea, hear me and answer me. And then he begins to pour his heart out to God. Because there's been this hint of resentment that could grow and become something really big. I've been thinking about this message, you know, all week long, and God's been working in my heart. And yesterday I went to the, the car wash, and uh, the car wash I go to, you, you kind of are in one lane, and all of a sudden you divide into two, and then there's a, a gap, a little lane between you, and then you pull forward in that lane you've chosen, and the two lanes that go through, and then you follow after each other. And so I, I was sitting there ready to go up to the gate and then to be let into the car wash, and, and um, the person in front of me moved first, pretty quickly forward, and the person next to me all of a sudden just cut me off and went in that spot. It was a red sports car with tinted windows, and it really, 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 really irritated me. I mean, just really, for some reason, it got to me, and I began to wrestle with this idea of, man, I don't even know this person, but I am really ticked at them. 
So as we went through the car wash, I ended up right behind them, the way things worked out. And, and I just went through staring. I couldn't see the back of their head. The seat was pretty tall. And I just stared at the back of that seat, thinking, what do you think you're doing? You think you're better than me? And I, I just started feeling this resentment toward this person, just a little tiny bit. And then the Lord's saying, hey, what are you talking about this weekend? And then I'm in my head just doing things. We pull through and we go to the vacuum cleaners and, and uh, the, the car pulls up next, or I pull up next to that car. And as I'm getting out, I said, you know what, I think I'm going to say something to these people. This, this has really irritated me. And I start to get out and I notice the person getting out in the car next to me is this dear, sweet, gray-haired little old lady. I mean, she looked like the woman from the cartoon from Sylvester and Tweety, Tweebird, looked just like that lady. And, and then it was just like, I can't say anything to her. And the Lord just sort of reminded me, you see, you've got to deal with this early because just little things, even with people we see on TV, politicians we disagree with, pundits on, on screen that we don't like or that irritate us, we can really get off our game just with little things that our spouse says or someone does. Or We have to be very careful to guard our hearts so we don't get hearts of bitterness. Turn to him at the first hint of resentment. When anyone causes you pain, go to him. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 55. David pouring out his heart. My heart is in anguish within me, God. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I have anguish in my heart, God. As soon as someone causes you pain, go to God. Now, the series that we're in right now is titled, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. It's not okay to have resentment or bitterness. But it's okay to have pain that could cause resentment or bitterness. That's, that's natural. We are fallen people living in a broken world with other fallen sinful people. And so there are going to be resources or there are going to be responses we have to one another where we're going to be wounded or hurt by someone that we cared about or someone we didn't even know that affected us in a certain way. And we have to guard our hearts. We have to watch out that that root of bitterness doesn't get down deep. So it's okay to have pain, but it's not okay to allow the poison to brew and the toxins to fester. When anyone causes you pain, go to God quickly. Secondly, when anyone keeps you from peace. Sometimes people don't cause you pain, but they just, they're enough of an irritation in your life, you escape the pain, you escape the peace and joy that you seek in life. Look at how David expresses this in verses 6 through 8. He said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. He says, man, if I could just get some peace, but I can't get any peace, God, i got to tell you about this. Go to God as soon as there's a little pain, a little grain of sand that could become a root of bitterness in your heart. Go to God when you begin to lack peace in your life. Go to God. Pour it out to him. There's quite a mixture of emotions that come into play here. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, he says, my heart is in anguish, God. And it has the idea of it's all stirred up with emotions going in every direction. And you know, there is a link between our anger, our fear, and our resentment. Someone put it this way and put it very simply. Anger, I'm not getting my way today. Fear, I won't get my way tomorrow. Resentment, I didn't get my way yesterday. Do you see the common denominator there? Those kind of things, that anguish gets in our hearts and it can cause bitterness. And if that bitterness gets in, it changes our perspective on life. It can even change our perspective on God and other people and ourselves. So we've got to go to God quickly. 
Turn to him at the first hint of resentment. Secondly, the second key, key number two, is go to God candidly. Again, another thing the Psalms teach us is we can be very specific. David prayed that Saul's wife would be a widow and his children would be orphans in the street. Wow, that's pretty strong prayers. But then on the two occasions he had to kill Saul, he didn't because he poured the poison and toxins out before God. It made him responsible to God for his emotions and his responses, even in that moment when he could have killed Saul. Go to God candidly. candidly. Take to him those who need to be judged. There are, if someone has wronged you, if someone has wronged, uh, uh, done wrong, and we see it in the news, or, or someone has the wrong view, or they're on a different side of the political aisle, I mean, there, there are wrongs in this world, Right? But you have to take that wrong and that person who has wronged you, those people who've wronged you, and you take them to God and you're candid with God why they irritate you, why they disturb you, why they trouble you, and you take it to him. You take the harshest, those who are the harshest to others to God. Sometimes you see what, 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 what the bitterness of others is doing, what the, the evil of others is doing to people you care about and the people around you. You take that to God. You don't let it become resentment in your heart. Verse 11, David says, destructive forces are at work in the city, threats and lies, never leave its streets. We're just surrounded by all this chaos and this pain and Absalom and his people have caused so much damage and hurt. They've been so harsh to others. And David takes it to God. If you read the whole Psalm, you get that, that sense throughout the whole thing, how harsh Absalom's rebellion was to others and how much damage it caused in Jerusalem and to God's people. There are things we see in this world that are pretty harsh. But we have to be careful that the harshness of others doesn't create bitterness in us. Of course, the, the news we knew was coming came out on Friday regarding Roe versus Wade. It's a very good thing when government laws reflect the values of God. That's a very good thing. We celebrate that. God values life from conception to death. We value that. Well, that's a very good thing that the laws of the land reflect the values of God. An even better thing is when the hearts of the people reflect the values of God. The mission of the church doesn't change. The mission of the church is the same. That is to see hearts transformed by the power of the gospel as people come to Jesus. They begin to see the world as we disciple them. They begin to see the world through his eyes as we teach them to obey all the things Christ has commanded us, is what he told us to do. And as people then begin to live out their values and they choose life because that's what God values, that begins to change not just one life, but then as it changes a family, it changes a community, it changes the nation, it changes the world. And if each of us who are believers would lead one person to Christ every year for the next 10 years, these kinds of things would be turned completely upside down as people would take on the values of God. One of the things, even, even as much as we can celebrate laws reflecting or at least giving opportunity for laws to reflect at the state level, it won't change much right here in California, but at the state level, opportunities for those laws to reflect the values of God. One of the things that has broken my heart, even as I've celebrated what was decided at the Supreme Court level, is how Christians have responded online and other places, the hatred, the spite, the bitterness, it breaks my heart. The people we shout at are the people Jesus ate with. 
Did you hear me? The people we shout at are the people Jesus ate with. That doesn't mean we still have conviction. We know what the truth is. We hold to that conviction. But Jesus never held the conviction without compassion for the people, for the women struggling with decisions. We need to be the people who now are known so much by our compassion, not just our conviction. And we need to be careful that we don't allow a root of bitterness to come in because of politics. And I think a lot of Christians on both sides of the aisle are filled with all kinds of bitterness and resentment and grudge holding. There's a root of bitterness that's gotten into our hearts against people on the other side of the aisle or politicians. We have to guard our hearts from that. We have to be careful. Even with the harshest of people, we can't let a root of bitterness get in. And David took the names of those people. He took the stories of those people. He took the pain they caused him before the Lord candidly because he knew he ultimately, God ultimately, was their judge. Go to God candidly, even in the political realm, with the pain you have so it doesn't become a root of bitterness in your heart to the point you can't have compassion for people who are lost and in need of the Lord. Secondly, go to God candidly, not only with those who are harshest to others, but also to those closest to you. Again, sometimes the wounds we carry are those who were so close to us at one time. And the intimacy that was broken was so intimate that the pain is very deep and the root of bitterness can go way down into our, our spirit. Look at how David almost names Ahithophel here in verses 12 through 14. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, you could almost put in parentheses there, Ahithophel, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. Now get this. Notice this, he's saying, I'm guarding my heart of bitterness, Lord, against this person who was my confidant and my friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. He said, we used to walk in the house of Jehovah and worship God with other people. And now we can't do that. The last couple of years, through the racial stuff, the pro-Trump, anti-Trump stuff, through vaccines and mandates, through all the different stuff that's been out there, one of the saddest things for me as a pastor is to see God's people so divided, to see small groups split, to see people walk away from other believers, and the, the, the bitterness and the resentment, and maybe that's where some bitterness and resentment has come from you. Maybe you were the one who walked away. Maybe you're the one who stayed and someone told you off that you were, you were this or you were that. And it breaks my heart to see that happening within the body of Christ. We, we now align to our parties more than we align to Jesus. And that's a dangerous thing. And we have to be careful that we don't allow bitterness to get in our hearts at other people for whatever reason, whatever end of that we were on and the wounds that were caused by that. He says, I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Whether or not those relationships are reestablished, can I encourage you to find ways to forgive and show grace to those people who maybe told you off, who were curt to you online, who were rude and expressed bitterness toward you. Don't respond with more bitterness or hate or vengeance. 
That's the Ahithophel way. Do what David does. Pour it out to God. Take their names to God. Take those people that are close to you that hurt you. Look at verses 20 and 21. He continues to describe Ahithophel here. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant, our close relationship. He, his talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Do you see the pain? In these last two years, I remember telling the elders probably halfway through 2020 that I know something's changed. After 30 years of ministry, I've been in, I graduated from seminary 30 years ago this month. After 30 years of ministry, and most of the complaints early on coming by letter, but in the last 20 years coming from emails, critics and people, in 2020, I remember telling the elders, I know I'm in trouble because my critics have moved from my email to my text messaging. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? Now you're getting down to people that I know very well and they're criticizing me and complaining and that makes it difficult. And, and that's what this is for David. Ahithophel was somebody he texted with. Somebody he knew really well. And it's causing him pain. And some of you have had those kind of breaks in relationships in the last two and a half, three years. We have to guard our hearts from bitterness toward those people. Whoever they are, whichever perspective they have. So we need to go to God candidly. Take to him those who need to be judged, that we think need to be judged, and let them be in God's hands. Key number three, not only do you go to God quickly and go to God candidly, key number three, you go to God constantly. You go to God constantly. Toss on him anything that keeps frustrating you. You know, Peter would say it in, in the New Testament, to the New Testament church, he'd say, cast on the Lord all your cares because he cares for you. Peter is actually quoting Psalm 55, as we'll see in just a moment. Because David is the one who says, I cast on you, Lord, my frustrations, this, this, this pain, these wounds, because I don't want them to become bitterness. I don't want to become resentful. He didn't want to become like Ahithophel. And so there's, there's this potential, and he's resisting letting bitterness get into his heart. So he keeps tossing the, the ache of, of the rebellion and the betrayal. He keeps tossing it on the Lord. Sometimes we have like this as a position in prayer. Sometimes maybe it's like this in prayer. For me, I pray a lot like this. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm taking the same things and burdens that keep stirring up in my heart where there could be seeds of bitterness and resentment. And you just got to keep putting it on the Lord. Keep putting it on the Lord. Keep putting it on the Lord. And some people have said to me, well, I've prayed about it a hundred times and pray a thousand times, but I just don't want to wear God out. You can't wear God out. He is ready to take that toxin and poison so it can leave your body so that you can truly live in this world with conviction and compassion, not one or the other. So that you can live in love like Jesus. Toss on him anything that keeps frustrating you, having done everything you can do, including forgiveness. David, if you read this whole psalm, you get a sense he's done everything he can do. He's at his wit's end. And what has he done then? He tosses it on the Lord. He's done what was humanly possible, but now he has to trust God for God to do what only God can do. Much of this is out of his control. And so he tosses it on the Lord. You do whatever you can do. If you need to confess sin, one way we deal with sin is we confess it. If we've, we've had a wrong in that, we tell that other person. If you need to confront sin, you need to confront a brother or sister, you confront them, but if they don't respond correctly, it could become bitterness, so you confront them, and then you've got to move on. 
The scriptures also say, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we cover that. We, can't, we, we have to extend forgiveness and grace, even though the relationship may not be restored. We extend that grace and forgiveness in our hearts so that we don't become toxic, so that we don't spill that toxin on our kids, on our brothers and sisters in Christ, the people around us. You do everything you can do. And let me just say, for some of you, what you may need to do, if you're in an abusive relationship that's harming you or someone else, you need to reach out to the authorities and report that. If you're, I, I'm not, if, if you're in an abusive situation verbally, emotionally, or physically, you don't just say, I forgive them and move on. You go to authorities because that person is abusing other people. If we can help you, reach out to us, reach out to our care team. But you do everything you could do, including forgiveness. How are we going to forgive somebody who has hurt us so badly? How could a David forgive an Ahithophel or Absalom? Well, in verses 16 and 17, he says, As for me, I call to God. The Lord saves me. He starts with, okay, you are my Savior. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. I keep casting on him because the Lord is the Savior. He's my Savior. He's my rescuer. I keep casting it on him. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says it this way. Get rid of all bitterness. He doesn't say some or those that are bigger than others. Or He says get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Believers are to be kind to each other, not mean-spirited, not bitter, not condescending. We're to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger. If you're here full of bitterness, rage, anger, and harsh words, you need to get rid of it. How can you do that? How can you be kind to other people you might disagree with or who wounded you? We've got to be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. What's the basis of that? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you, the holy God of the universe has forgiven me in Jesus, a fallen human being, a sinner saved by him. Who am I not to forgive another fallen human being that is marred like I am when the God of the universe is holy? Not only forgave me, but he made the way for me to be forgiven through the sacrifice of his son. We forgive because we've been forgiven. C.S. Lewis summarized it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Maybe there's somebody on TV. Maybe there's somebody in your life. Maybe there's somebody who pulled in front of you in the car wash. Maybe there's somebody you've been harboring a little bit of bitterness or a lot of bitterness. To keep that bitterness out of your life, you need to keep casting it on the Lord. You do all you can do, including extending forgiveness. Again, there may not be a restoration relationship. You may not even have an opportunity to speak to that person. They may already be in an eternity. Or you may not ever speak to them again, but you can extend forgiveness, get the poison out of your own heart. Now, a great reminder for us of God's grace in our lives, his forgiveness of us, his love and mercy toward us, is communion. Again, this weekend, we have communion available in the prayer chapel that's on the other side of the wall on the other side of that American flag over there. If you're here on campus, you can slip into the prayer chapel right after the service. Pastor Brian Howard and others will be there. As you walk in, they'll administer communion to you personally. They're there to pray with you. If there's a burden, if there's a, a grudge you've been holding, resentment in your heart, you need to, to just to pray with someone about that. They'll be there. Go in there if you've been holding a grudge and allow God to remind you of his forgiveness toward you. That will help you remove the bitterness and extend forgiveness to those who've wounded you. 
or those you think are wrong or those you disagree with and you've held a grudge against them. Go in there and spend some time in there after the service. I've also known people who have written a letter to the person that wronged them and they write it and then they light it on fire. Don't do that in any brushy area. Do that over a sink or over a grill or a fire pit. I've also known people who've written the name of someone on a rock and they've gone to Malibu and just thrown it as hard as they can, as far as they can into the ocean and release that bitterness. I read about a study in the Journal of Psychology that came out a couple years ago where people who couldn't sleep at night, uh, they, they suggested to this group of subjects they were doing this research on that when they couldn't sleep at night and they woke up, just think of people that maybe they've har harbored some bitterness or resentment toward, they had a grudge against, someone who wounded them, and while they're laying awake, extend forgiveness in their hearts and minds. I would even say ask God to forgive them and work in their hearts. What they found was that half of those who were in the study actually slept better. Maybe when you wake up in the middle of the night, one-third of Americans say they wake up in the middle of the night at least once a week. When you wake up in the middle of the night, extend forgiveness to someone who has harmed you. Do something practical where you can process. After you, you go to God quickly, you go to God candidly, you go to God constantly, you keep casting him. Maybe you've got to put that name on a rock and throw it in the ocean a hundred times over the next year. Toss on him anything that keeps frustrating you, having done everything you can do, including forgiveness, trusting him with everything else, including judgment. You let God be the judge. Look at verse 19. God who is enthroned from old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. He'll take care of them. Verse 22, here it is. Peter quotes this in the New Testament. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked. You be the judge, not me. You are God, I am not. Into the pit of decay, the bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. Lord, you will take care of them. Notice how he's resisting this bitterness. I'm not going to be their judge. I'm not going to attack them. I'm going to cast who they are on you. And I love the last line of the whole psalm. But as for me, you know what I'm going to do, God? I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. As you cast it on him, say, okay, now I'm going to trust you with that. I cast it on you again. I'm going to trust you with that. I said at the beginning of the message, unless you keep bitterness from taking root in your heart, the poison of resentment will ruin a lot of people, especially you. Don't be like a Hithophel. Don't believe those lies. Do what David did. Go to God. Go to God quickly. Go to God candidly. And go to God constantly. And in the end, say, Lord, as I cast this on you, I extend forgiveness to that person. And Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. Nelson Mandela was a violent revolutionary against the apartheid government of South Africa. And in 1963, he was put in prison for life. He went to the Rodham prison for his first 18 years of his 27 years there. He wouldn't be released till 1990. He would become the first president in 1994, released by Prime Minister de Kerk in 90, became the first president and the first black leader of South Africa as a nation in 1994 with the vote of all the people as apartheid fell apart. But the prison he was in for those first 18 years was a hard prison where it was hard labor he didn't have a bed or a blanket. The floor was his bed and his pillow. He had a bucket as a toilet. He was allowed one visitor a year 
for 30 minutes. He was allowed to write one letter out and receive one letter in every six months for 18 years. His time in prison was awful. Reflecting back on that, looking back at the day he was released in 1990 after 27 years in prison, Mandela said this, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. A lot of us who hold on to grudges and resentment and bitterness, we're in prison. As I mentioned, the prayer chapel will be available for you to have communion. Maybe there's a bitterness that you think, I need some pastoral counsel. I need to be referred to a professional Christian counselor. Go to our care ministry table in the lobby and they can help you after the service. You can mention it in the prayer time and, the, and that you have with the pastors in the chapel, but make sure you take the initiative. There's something really deep. Don't allow yourself to be kept in prison. Don't allow a resentment to ruin your life, to ruin your family, to ruin your perspective, to rob you of joy and peace in this world. Has a root of bitterness been ruining you? What was that name? Who was that person? that could irritate you if they sat down next to you right now just by being near you. Would you bow your heads? Just talk to the Lord for a moment. Talk about that person. Name them. Go quickly now to the Lord. Some of you might say, well, it's too late for me. The root of bitterness is there. Well, then deal with it now. That's what it means to deal with it quickly. Tell God about it. Talk to him. Be candid with him about how much it's hurt, who they are, how close they were, or maybe how much you see him on the news or whatever, wherever that bitterness is aimed, just be candid with him. Be candid with him. And say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna constantly make part of my posture and prayers is casting on you, casting on you, casting on you, forgiving them and trusting you that you will be the judge, not me. Ask him to release you from this bitterness. Maybe even pray Psalm 55 back to the Lord. Instead of Ahithophel, put in the identifiers of who it is that's wounded you. If the Lord's been speaking to you specifically and you'd like me to pray for you in closing, I won't bring up your name, I won't draw any other attention to you, but you just say, pray for me, Pastor. There is a person, there are a couple people, but there's some deep bitterness that's been ruining me. And I need to be rid of that. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up next to your face? Don't have to slip it high. Just up next to your face. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that honesty. Oh, I see dozens of hands in the room. Thank you. Thank you. Just slip it up next to your face. Slip it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord saw your hand, but I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the grace you've shown us. We wronged you in our sin, and yet you've forgiven us. People wronged us, hurt us. Help us to extend that same grace to them. I pray for those particularly who raised their hand. Father, maybe they need to go to the chapel and just be reminded of your grace in their own life before they can begin to extend it to someone else. Maybe they need to talk to our care ministry and reach out to find a good Christian therapist. Maybe they need to take a rock and put a name on it and throw it in the ocean. Lord, overall, may they go to you quickly and candidly and constantly with that burden so that that root can be uprooted. No seeds of resentment can get down deep into their spirit. Father, we want to be people in this world. Yes, they're people of conviction, but people of compassion, people who are not bitter, but share the love of Christ wherever we go. 
live out the reality of Christ in our lives. Sometimes resentment gets in the way of that. Give us freedom. Guard our hearts. Help us to watch out for that root of bitterness. Bring freedom to those who really been wrestling with one name or a couple names. Maybe it's been a few weeks, a few months. Maybe it's been decades. Work in their hearts. May your spirit bring healing and hope into their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.